but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God has both raised up the Lord and will raise and will also raise up us by His own power. What these Corinthians were saying was, and Paul's quoting them saying, all things are lawful to me. I can do what I want. Quotes it again in verse 12. All things are lawful for me. Meats for the belly, the belly for meats. And what they're saying is, Everything's permitted. Food's for the stomach. The stomach's for food. In the end, there will be a day when, when, when our, when our, uh, our, 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 our resurrected bodies, we will not need to eat. Uh, and they use that same line of logic to say, I can satisfy my sexual urges here because um, I won't have those things in the resurrected state either one day. And what Paul corrects them to understand is this. We're to use the human body in the right ways and the right purpose. And let me illustrate it like this. Let's say, men, you were walking around the house and you saw some, uh, some, some, some screws that were sticking out and needed to be screwed in and you didn't have your tool with you, a screwdriver, so you just used your pocket knife. You stuck your pocket knife and took your pocket knife into that, into that uh, uh, slot in the screw and you turned it and, uh, and, 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 and you did that quite well with the point of your knife. So well, I thought, why do I need to you know, ever have a screwdriver? And that's how you go around life, screwing in screws that you see that are loose with the tip of your pocket knife. The problem is, that doesn't do the knife any good. Because what will happen over time is the end of that knife will get bent and, and that knife will be harder and harder to use for its particular purposes. And then one day you might be trying to unscrew a particularly stubborn screw and that knife blade might snap off into different pieces and cut yourself. And friends, that's just a small glimpse of what can happen when you use something for the wrong purposes. Nothing wrong with a knife, nothing wrong with a screw. But what was wrong is using that knife for the wrong purposes. And this passage here is about learning to use the human body in the right way for the right purpose. And what Paul says in verse 12 is this, If you say, all things are lawful to me, Paul's going to respond back with this, But all things are not expedient. That word means profitable. Not everything is profitable for you. And then he says this in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, you say, but I will not be brought under the power or the mastery of any. If something is mastering you, if something is commanding your life, if there is something that you are worshiping outside of God, and you know you're worshiping it because you're sinning to do it, and Paul says that's something that needs to be removed from their life. And that's what it was with their sexuality. There was nothing wrong with sexuality as long as it was in the correct fires of, of, of God's, uh, God's design between a married man and woman. But when they took that log out of the fires, it began to master them. It was dangerous. It destroyed their witness. destroyed their fellowship with the Lord. And they said, well, this is just natural. I have these desires. But friends, calling it natural doesn't mean it's essential, doesn't mean it's beneficial, and it doesn't mean it's unchangeable. For example, it's natural for a two-year-old to mess their pants. Right? It's natural for me to never brush my teeth. That's natural, to go that default way, right? But we teach ourselves to do the unnatural until the unnatural itself becomes 
second nature. And that's what Paul is trying to have them understand. Just because you have these natural desires, they are designed to be used within these certain confines and boundaries. That the body is not for fornication, but it is for the Lord. That the body, though it will die one day, though you will be in the grave one day, that that is not the end of the body. It doesn't matter if you die in the ocean or you're cremated. God will raise that body and He will join it to the Spirit. God's Word over your body is not done. And that's what God's Word was saying in verse 13. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God has both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us, us up by His own power. What Paul's saying is what he'll speak about in Romans chapter 8. That our bodies in this cursed creation groans for fulfillment. It groans for a completion. And there will be a day when Jesus returns and He makes all things new. He removes the curse of the creation. He restores the beauty and goodness of this world even in a, even in a way that we better than eat in a new creation. A new heavens and a new earth. And Paul is saying because of this cosmic, eternal truth of the resurrection of the body... Don't just say you need to feed your appetites. Because you are not an animal. You are made in the image of God. And God has made you in His image. And Jesus died on the cross with His body on the tree. So that in the end, not only your spirit is joined with Him, but your body will be joined with Him in that last day. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. It is not destined for destruction ultimately, but for resurrection. And the proof of this, Paul says, is Christ's resurrection. Your food in your stomach, one day you're not going to need that. Now, Jesus in His resurrected body ate food, didn't He? But it wasn't out of necessity. Your food in your stomach belonged to this present age. But you can't apply that same logic to wrong sexual relations. You see, the issue was in verse... 14 and 15, Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. God forbid. Jesus Christ has given Himself for your body as a part of His redemptive work. Not just saving your souls. He saves your body as well. And that's why in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul tells each of us to lay down your bodies as a sacrifice to God which Paul says is your reasonable worship. He doesn't just say lay down your spirit, lay down your mind, though there are passages in that. But your body, and you'll see this in Romans chapter 6 as well, the members of your body are to be just as surrendered to the Lord as your head is, as your brain is. The Greeks looked at the created world, the physical world, they looked at the spiritual world, and they say uh, of spirit, souls, and, and they looked at them and they said, the physical world is evil, the spiritual world, the spirit world is good. But the Old Testament declared that at creation, God looked at all creation and He said it was good. He pronounced it good. And when we look for the new creation, the new heavens, and a new earth, the body will be raised so that we'll experience the final wholeness that God intended with the body. What Paul is saying here in these words in verse 12 and uh, in verse 12 specifically, all things are not expedient, though they might be lawful. I will not be brought into the power of any. As Paul is saying this, love God and do what you please. 
Because if you love God, you'll do what He pleases. You will not be brought under the mastery of another idol, another false god. Love God and do as you please. You're an image bearer of God. If you love God, your heart is going to be united with God. You're going to desire to do His purposes. So the first point is that our bodies are not simply like animals. We don't walk around like animals, act like animals. We are made in the image of God. And he's going to push this a little bit further in verse 15, where he makes the point that Christians' bodies are extensions of Christ. Extensions of Christ. Look what he says. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What he's saying is this. And this is revolutionary for each of us. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ and what He has purchased for us, all of us, not just our souls, our bodies too, our bodies and all that they are, our muscles, our organs, our ligaments, our chemicals, our skin, our hair, our nails, our arteries, our veins, our bones, are part of the living Christ. We are the physical extensions of Jesus in the world. Our hands are to be the hands of Jesus. Our feet are, be, are to be the feet of Jesus. Our eyes are to be the eyes of Jesus. Our brains are to be the brains of Jesus. All of us is to be brought into subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is what Paul is saying. Remember that song you learned perhaps as a child in Sunday school? Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. For the Father up above looking down. Well, where the rest of it goes, right? That's nice, and that's a good start. But there's way more. And here's the way more. It goes deeper than that. It's not just in a detached way that God sees what we do, but our eyes are His eyes. Jesus cares so deeply about us, and He's brought such purpose and life to us in the Gospel, that our bodies are joined to Him, and He is involved in every part of our being, not just on 1045 on Sunday today. He is fleshed out, not just in our thoughts and ideas, but in our physical actions and shoveling dirt and shaking a hand, and an encouraging smile, and scrubbing the bathtub, and opening a door, and speaking words, and carrying groceries, and so on. In other words, we are the incarnation of Jesus in this world. We are God in flesh in this world. We are to minister the presence of God in us to this world. We are not God, but we're joined to God, and because we're joined to God, we are to minister to the world as understanding that God is dwelling in us. Mr. Mank always shares the illustration or the, the, the memory that when he was first saved in Florida, his pastor told him, Remember, Mank, everywhere you go, the Lord's with you. He's in you. Does that give meaning to our bodies now? Making cupcakes, changing diapers, changing the oil, sexuality? It gives dignity. And it is standing on this truth that Paul understands, that he wants the Corinthians to remember and understand, that he is flabbergasted, he is stunned, he is in awe that sexual immorality in whatever form, through whatever gate, whether it's the eye or the body, other body parts, whatever gate, would be practiced in verse 15 and 16. He says, don't you know your bodies are joined to Christ? You're members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid, he says. 
And that phrase, God forbid, is the Greek word meganeto. It's literally the strongest way that someone can say, absolutely not, forget it. Don't even think about it in the Greek. Ray Ortland says this, Shall I then take the sexuality and join my sexuality to a prostitute if I'm in Christ? Shall I take the eyes of Christ and the brain of Christ and make them members of porn? Shall I take any member of my body which Christ now claims as dear and precious to Himself as if my body were His very own body? Because it is. And use my body for any sinful purpose at all? Never. If our poor bodies could somehow speak for themselves, they would plead with us, Oh, please don't take me there. Please don't do that with me. I belong to Jesus now. He cares about me even if you don't. He values me even if you would abuse me. Have mercy upon me. Don't do such horrible things with me. In fact, don't even think of me. Think of Jesus and treat me as a part of Him because I am. And friends, here then is how our standards in sexuality are elevated and preserved. The love of Jesus reaching out and embracing us so that we are genuine members of His holiness. Now Paul makes the point that that same body, that same self, cannot be joined to Jesus and be joined to a prostitute. Unless it is first wrenched away and torn away by force from Christ. And the horror that Paul feels at this makes him say, God forbid! And the things that our eyes view on TV or the internet are being viewed through the very eyes of Jesus inside of you. Your actions with your hands, your thoughts, all belong to the Lord Jesus. The things you might chuckle at, the things that might seem okay for you to tolerate, is through the body of Jesus And so therefore, Paul says in verse 17, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. In verse 16 he says, Don't you know that he that is joined to a harlot is one body? This is intolerable. As a person who is a person of the Spirit. A person who the Holy Spirit has made new. And do you remember all the way back in 1 Corinthians 2 that we have been infused with a new wisdom? A wisdom of the cross that gives us a perspective on all of life. Gives us a perspective on everything from parenting to, to, to families, to work, uh, to our church, to, to relating to other people, to solving conflict, to yes, even sexuality. The wisdom of God in the cross. And Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 2, you are not mere men. You are not a natural man. You are a man who the Spirit indwells. The Spirit of God rules you through the Word of God. So act like it is what Paul is saying. We're to run away from fornication. We're to turn around and run after the love of God. The question might arise, well, why are Christians' bodies extensions of Jesus Christ? And the third point is is that Christians' bodies are married to Christ. That's why. That's why. Well, what in the world does that mean? That just sounds weird. You might be wondering. Well, Paul says this. What? 
Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body. In a sexual relationship, there's one body. When Paul says you are illicitly engaging in these acts, you are engaging and making yourself one body with that individual illicitly. Because Paul says, based on Genesis 2.24, the two says, he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So we quote Genesis 2.24. This is a standard of what marriage is. A standard held up of what marriage is. A lawful joining together and an unlawful joining together. A lawful joining is the two, man and woman, joining in marriage, covenant commitment to each other. Unlawful is anything that is not that. Anything outside of that boundary. And verse 17 tells us that there are three levels of joining. The first is one body, Paul says. This one is wrong because it is outside of marriage. It is sexual sin. It is incompatible with God's design shown in His Word. But the second one is one flesh in Genesis 2.24. This is good. This is God's design for marriage. The two shall become one flesh. A man and a woman unite in marriage and covenant to each other for life. They are meeting God's design for human flourishing and for His glory. And then the third is one spirit. And this is our marriage to Jesus. Our joining to Jesus. Our union to Jesus. This is what our earthly relationship of marriage points to. This is the forever reality that marriage is a parable of, an illustration of, a picture of, a signpost pointing to. So if we work backwards from that, this is what Paul is saying. That Jesus' followers are held in this form forever, united to Jesus in His Spirit. The forever embrace of the Son of God. One Spirit. Joined to the Lord. That's what human marriage is to be a picture of. God's love and commitment to us and ours to Him. But sexual sin is a violation and it's an enemy of these truths. And it must be fought against vigorously in battle in our lives in a fallen world. And Paul's point is this. I'll say this tactfully. The physical union of a believer with a prostitute It's not possible because the believer's body already belongs to the Lord. Through whose resurrection one's body has become a member of Jesus Christ by His Spirit. So to act in that way is to do a horrific thing. Because when you're acting that way, you're saying, I am one with them. And Paul is saying, no, you're one with Jesus and you're taking your body into into that corrupt relationship. So hence, verse 18, Paul says, And this is the whole point of the passage. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. So on the basis, Paul's saying, that our bodies are extensions of Jesus Christ because we are wedded to Christ, we are united to Christ. We are then to flee from anything that is at war with God's design of the one flesh relationship of man and women, and we're to live in unreserved purity. You might say, but I'm single. And your reserve there, by not engaging in these things outside of marriage, speaks a powerful testimony as well. Not only to the married men and women in this room, but the unmarried men and women in this room. Your understanding of fleeing fornication applies to both of you. 
And it, has, it, and it is a powerful witness. And the reason for this is what Paul says. Because since our bodies are the sacred dwelling place of God Himself, and sexual sin is done with our bodies, sexual sin is a sin that assaults, that takes a sledgehammer to the very sacredness of the dwelling place of God, my body. So he says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? He's saying, flee from it. Paul doesn't just say, fight fornication. He says, run fast from it. And are we running fast from it? Are we running fast from those flirtatious thoughts with that person of the opposite gender that might be in our minds? Are we running fast from those, those, those shows that, that, are, that are in our queue in Netflix or on our DVRs? Are we running fast from, from, from those links and those sites that we know are on the edge? Are we running fast from the access to it that we might have uh, there in our own personal devices in our pockets right now? Run fast like Joseph did in Genesis 39 from Potiphar's wife. What Paul's saying here when he says that other sins are, are sins a man does outside the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body, is that he's saying something that... Um, it is like this. It's true that all of us are sinners. And one sin separates us from the law, from the perfection of the law of God, right? But he also is making the point that there is something unique about sexual sin. It's not any less of a sin, any more of a sin, but there is a uniqueness to it because it encompasses the whole of a person. When we... <clears throat> Are, are, are in, in, engaging in sexual sin, we are engaging against one's own body. And therefore, any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage would be like a man robbing a bank. A man who robs a bank might get something, but it's not his and he'll one day pay for it. But properly operated inside of marriage would be like a person putting money into their bank account. Within marriage, it can help build a relationship that brings joys in the future. Apart from marriage, it has a way, as a cancer, of weakening future relationships. And any Christian marriage counselor will tell you that. It violates the one spirit union of Jesus Christ. Because the Spirit of God is really present within our bodies. And when we make our bodies that God has purchased at extreme price, the blood of His Son, and engage in immorality or dabble with those thoughts that will eventually lead to that, we are decorating the temple of God into a whorehouse. It is a serious, far-reaching sin. And we have been purchased with a serious, far-reaching grace from that to bring bring us back to Him. So Paul says this in verse 19, Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What Paul's point is this, that our bodies are reserved for the glory of Christ. They're reserved for the glory of Christ. This uh, action or these thoughts toward improper um, uh, uh, sexuality outside of marriage is not glorify God. That's why we've all come short of the glory of God. Right? That's why we need His grace. And what Paul is saying is this. When he says we're bought with a price, he's drawing upon what they would have understood in the slave culture of that day. In the first century, there was an option. If you were a slave, to slowly build up funds in an account in a local temple until your price in the slave market was accumulated. And then you could be bought with a price from your master by the priests of that pagan temple. Maybe you were the temple of Apollo or whatever it was. And you would formally become that God's slave. So if you were a Christian slave in Corinth, you're going up the path to Corinth, to, to, to one of the hills outside Corinth where one of their temples was, you would see toward the northwest a snowy peak of one of the mountains rising clear and clear before them. And everybody knew that within the, the circle of that mountain there lay these temple shrines of Apollo. And there you could take your accumulated copper coins that you saved for 30 years. And you could bring them to the priest and you would be set free as a slave with a price for freedom. You would have been redeemed with a price. But what's different about Corinthian slaves who were in Christ was this. They were not set free from bondage to sin and death by saving their copper coins one after another for 30 years. Rather, the price had already been paid by another. God in Christ died on the cross to set them free. And here in other places in the New Testament, tells us that God paid a price for the believer and redeemed us. And that price was the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, this, this argument here for, for Christians being pure and fleeing fornication isn't just a command with a dart that's just stuck up on the wall. It's encompassed about with this grand picture here. The entire sweep of the Bible from Genesis 2 and the Garden of Eden through the moral sewers of what this present age is like to God Himself when He comes down and He resurrects our bodies in the sacred temples. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 14, God will also raise us up by His power. This isn't just a legalistic command here. Do better. Flee fornication. This is couched and the beauty of what God has already done for us. We're bought with a price. And what might help you right now in your moment of weakness and temptation is this amazing reality that you who was a sin-cursed sinner before is now filled with the glory of God. You are filled with what is unique about God. And you as His image bearer are to image that out. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are to image out Christ to the world. Not in our, just our personalities, but in our very bodies too. That God has made each of us into a sacred temple where Jesus is to be worshipped and served. And it cost Him. 
It cost Him to remake us in this wonderful way. He paid a price, His very lifeblood on the cross. And so therefore, we are no longer our own. We belong to Him now. Imagine those of you who are very careful drivers. You borrow a friend's car. You drive it very carefully, right? You don't want to damage the property of a friend. You don't want to return your friend's car all banged up. But what do we do with our bodies? You see, this body is not my own. These hands, these feet, this body does not belong to Jamie. This body is the personal property of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. These eyes are the personal property of Jesus. And He sees through them. This mind is Jesus' mind. And that's why we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, because it's all-encompassing. So how can we say, who does God think He is telling me to do what, what, what I'm supposed to do with my body? And Paul says, you can't say that because the only ones who can say that are those who don't belong to Him. But you've been bought with a price. You've been purchased. Did He shed His blood to cover our sins? Has His Spirit been given to us to make us new? If so, and since that is true, we are to glorify Him in even our physicality, even our sexuality. I want to make one more thing clear here. Notice what Paul is saying. He is not saying this. If you will glorify God in your body, then He will pay, then He will buy you with a price. He will wash your sins away in the blood of Jesus. He'll indwell you by His Spirit. He'll raise you bodily on the final day. No. This is the good news of the Gospel. The Word of God is saying to us right here, in the past, I have covered your sins with the blood of Jesus. This is what you were. I have paid this price. I have covered you, washed you, sanctified you. I have covered your sins with the blood of Jesus. In the present, My Spirit will dwell in you. And in the future, I will raise you bodily into total glory. On the basis of that, friends, and this is the difference between law and Gospel, Law says, do this so you get this. Gospel says, God did this for you, so respond in this way. On the basis of that, the Word of God is saying, therefore, glorify me in your body. Moment by moment. I was looking for a book the other day on Amazon, the nerd that I am, and it's out of print. And it was very expensive. It was $80 for a little paperback. I wasn't going to buy it and pay that. But if I did pay that money for that book, I wouldn't start tearing pages out to write my shopping lists on or have my two-year-old doodle in the books like they sometimes found occasion to. If I paid a lot of money for my house... I'm not going to spray paint silly patterns on the front door. And in the same way, those who have been bought a tremendous cost must remind yourselves that you are not mere men, mere women, natural men, natural women. You are very special. And you must learn to behave accordingly. Glorify God in your body is Paul's admonition. In other words, Discover how to live the truly human life 
that brings glory to God in whose image you're made. Because His Son died to rescue from all that will stop you from being the person that He's designed you to be. Some of you say, well, I've never engaged with a prostitute or I've never done this. I... Did you know that every action begins as a thought? And for Jesus to say that you can entertain wrong thinking about these issues and be good, stoke the fires of lust and be okay, would be absolutely contradictory to this command to flee fornication. The word fornication covers a broad category. Are you letting the smut of this age seep into the temple of God through your ears, your eyes, your thoughts, pollute the temple of God? Are you trying to make the Son of God who dies for your sins and loves you coexist with the sins He took on the cross for you? The very things that killed Him? Friends, God loves you too much to allow that to continue polluting you. And He did all this and bought you the price and made you His temple so that you would act out of that. In fact, he says in verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Sin blocks. But friends, look at the grace in verse 11 we saw last week. And such were some of you. Friends, he's talking to people who are engaging with prostitutes in the very church of God that he's planted. And he says, that's what you were. This is not who you are. Walk in your new identity. Walk out of joy that you're God's temple. That the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That because of His grace and mercy, He's purchased you with a great, great price. You're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Walk in that. You belong to Jesus. Your body's an extension of Jesus Christ. Your body's reserved for the glory of Jesus Christ. So flee immorality. Flee the enemies of God. Glorify God with your body. Honor Him. Because of the resurrection, the believer knows that he, his or her body will be raised one day. And so, his or her sexual practice involves that body. So be pure in it. Because of the cross, you know you've been bought with a price and expected then to use that physical body in a way that glorifies God. Let's pray.